0: good morning. We're out with the Carlton 5014. We're gonna grind some stumps today. We've already ground a few up on this slopey area. We're gonna show this machine in the terrain that would be uneven on a slope down by a lake on a good hardwood stump. This Carlton 5014 is equipped with an optional 44 horsepower Kubota, which is a four cylinder water cooled turbo diesel. We also have the Carlton razor cutting system on it. Um, The machine is equipped with a hydraulic scrape blade on the front, and our track system. Has a 50 inch arc swing, 14 inch cutting. to the agency eugene here your agent in toronto
1: hello and candy your agent here in knoxville tennessee knoxville (laughs) every week you're somewhere new i know it's so insane i don't know what is going on it i I don't know maybe i'm living the life of my dreams right now i i am enjoying it i miss stag very much that was we didn't plan that well enough um he's at home busy working And I'm here busy working. I've been house painting for a couple of weeks. And now we have driven from Clarksville, near Nashville, down to uh, my client and friend, Karen, has come with me. Um, We're in a comfy hotel here. And um, I'm gonna do an interview at noon of uh, a fellow Wes, who I've interviewed before for my documentary, but we're doing a follow-up one.
0: Excellent. So so it's a working, a working working vacation.
1: I, i've been working the whole time in i'm sure you've been
0: working very hard i say vacation oh, but because you're in a new it. place but
1: i know this is sort of vacation but then i woke up this morning of course i'm thinking about the podcast which i approach very much like work i have notes research well okay we won't notes. get it notes and research um well not very much but a little bit i don't even know what we're going to talk about today and um but i felt like a, oh my god i just wish i had Every week, I always feel like I need another day. I need another day to be ready for the podcast. But, you know, we seem to get by. There's always something. There's always something. I'm going to open up another window. How are you doing?
0: Well, I'm doing really well. Uh, We um, usually something people do in spring, but we're doing it in the fall. We got our bicycles tuned up. (laughs) That is Uh, different. Yes. We have, we each have an, an old bicycle and yeah. we got them kind of fixed up. So they're in uh they're in good shape for riding. And I've been going for a nice ride every day, Damn enjoying it. that. You know, when I wrecked my knee and, and ripped the tendon off the, the kneecap, uh. I wasn't sure I'd be able to, or when I'd be able to ride a bicycle again, you know, I felt very nervous about it. Yeah. Um. But uh, now I don't feel nervous about it. I feel that it's plenty strong enough and, uh, the bicycle riding is helping to strengthen it even further. So it's fabulous.
1: Right. Right. I
0: went the other day, I bicycled. There's some big parks, as you know, near us, uh, just to the East of us, there's Colonel Sam Smith park, um, a park named after a land baron and to the (laughs) West of us, there's Marie Curtis park, a park named after a politician. Right. And, um, uh, I went west um, along the waterfront trail, which is a road called Lake Promenade, and then into Marie Curtis Park, and then up along Etobicoke Creek. And I stopped at the first waterfalls because I wanted to look to see if there were salmon running up the creek. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: what did I see? But a great blue heron standing there in the water fishing.
1: Wow! And I
0: thought, man, that is a bird who's got the right idea, standing in a river yes. below a falls trying to catch a few fish I mean, it just
1: doesn't get much better than that wonderful i heard that the salmon are swimming up the Don river which is such a great sign environmentally
0: oh there's lots of salmon in the Don river absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah pretty cool now of course those salmon uh most of them are stocked the yeah. the, the uh, Um, The native salmon, there was a native salmon in in Lake Ontario rivers and in Lake Ontario, and that was the Atlantic salmon. And a number of factors eradicated the Atlantic salmon uh, at the turn of the century into the 20th century, um, including overfishing and including um, uh, pollution. uh, And as well, there was a decline in the population of alewives which is what the, the salmon eat. And so we lost the Atlantic salmon in uh, Lake Ontario waters. And when I was a kid, they started to restock salmon, but they started okay. to stock uh, Pacific salmon, coho salmon <laughs> and Chinook salmon. Right. And it was successful enough in that the salmon grew to be big, that it spawned, excuse the pun, a uh-huh. uh, commercial sport fishing industry. Uh, And there's lots of guides who will take people out in the lake salmon fishing. Right. Uh, And then they've started to stock, restock Atlantic salmon as well, trying to bring back the native Atlantic salmon fishery. Mm. Uh, And they've been trying that for a number of years. And it appears that the success is marginal from what I've been able to find out. Okay. Um, I know that they started stocking them in the upper part of the Credit River because I fished the upper part of the Credit River for trout. And I could tell you that a number of the fly fishermen who uh who fish the waters up there are not happy about Mm stocked Atlantic salmon because the worry is there's an excellent native, well, not native, but resident brown trout fishery. Uh The brown trout were introduced from Germany. Hmm. Oh, well over a hundred years ago, I think. Wow. Uh, and it's become the resident fishery there. And there's some fear that this stocking of Atlantic salmon, if it's successful, will displace the resident brown trout fishery, because they both need the same habitat. So right. we're not sure what's going to happen there. Um, but yeah, there are there's salmon in the lake, and and they do run up the rivers and the Don River. Um, the Don River is in much, much better shape than, um, than it ever, well, it was for many years because uh, there was a lot of heavy industry along the Don. And uh, part of it was channelized down towards the bottom. Uh, but even further up, um, there was some pretty nasty, uh, pretty nasty uh, industry, which is gone now. And a lot of that is protected parkland. And it's, I could tell you, it's a great place for a hike or a bike ride. It's become really beautiful.
1: Wow. Pretty cool. Yeah. pretty You get
0: me talking about fish. Look what happens. Uh,
1: no, that's good. I think we're going to be talking about fishing a couple of times today. Um, and before I forget, I'm going to kind of change the topic. Something you said made me remember that we did have an email of sorts. Um, one of our guests and podcast friend, uh, John, has written us um, something. And he wants to say, I sent him some of your um, graphic novels, first couple of issues. So he's pretty excited about getting that. And um, he says, I really love the podcast and think you and Eugene have a great dynamic, no doubt coming from your long friendship. You're different, but totally complimentary. And that's the best thing in any double act. He also says, um, he wants to pledge, I guess he got, I guess my, my begging for uh, pledges on Patreon must have worked (laughs) because he wants to give to a purer artistic purpose and thus redeem himself in his own eyes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What an excellent idea. That's what I say.
1: exactly. So that was kind of fun to get this letter. You know, he said a few other things personal, but he also says, say hi to Eugene for me and keep those episodes coming. Maybe as a viewer question, you could ask Eugene where his buddy got his nickname East Texas Red, ha ha. I really dig that name. Oh, I can tell you that
0: exactly. Uh, it comes from a song. It oh. comes from a song by Woody Guthrie. Okay. Uh, I'm going to see if I can find the year and that sort of stuff. Right.
1: Uh, okay. And it, a, it
0: was covered. I didn't know that? I think probably East Texas Red heard the uh, Tom Russell version of the song, oh. which is really fantastic. Uh, I think it's on... Uh, Indians, Cowboys, Horses, and Dogs, which is a brilliant, brilliant album.
1: Right.
0: Um, so let's see. Um, yeah, I just know it's by Woody Guthrie. I can give you a little bit of the lyrics. It's about uh, East Texas Red was a railroad bull. Um, so yeah, he's his job was to was to keep the hobos, uh, like the railroad police, keep the hobos off the line. Oh. So here's some of the East Texas Red uh, lyrics. Okay. Down in the scrub oak timber of the Southeast Texas Gulf, there used to ride a brakeman and a brakeman double tough. He worked the town of Kilgore and Longview nine miles down. Us travelers called him East Texas Red, the meanest bull around. I rode by night and broad daylight in the wind and snow and sun. I always seen little East Texas Red sporting his smooth running gun. The tail got switched down the stems and mane and everybody said the meanest man on the shiny rails was little East Texas Red. Mm -hmm. It was early in the morning and along towards nine or 10, a couple of the boys on the hunt of a job stood in the blizzardy wind. Hungry and cold, they knocked on the doors of the working folks around for a piece of meat. And a spud or two to boil a stew around. Red, he come down the cinder dump and he flagged the number two. He kicked their bucket over a bush and he dumped out all their stew. <laughs> Travelers said, "Mister Eats Texas Red, you better get you better get everything fixed, cause you're gonna ride your little train just one year from today." All right. Red, he laughed. And he, I'm going to read the whole thing now. Okay, I good, 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 good. Okay, so Red, he laughed. And as he clumbed the bank and swung aside of a wheeler, the boys caught a tanker to Seminole and West to Amarillo. They struck them a job of oil field work and followed a pipeline down. It took them lots of places till the year had rolled around. On one cold and wintry day, they hooked them a golf bound train. They shivered and shook, with dough in their clothes to see Kilgore again. Over hills of sand and hard-froze road, where the cotton wagons roll on past the town of Kilgore and on to old Longview. With their warm suits of clothes and overcoats, they walk into a store. They pay the man for some meat and stuff to fix a stew once more. The ties, they walk back past the yards till they, they come to the same old spot where East Texas Red, just a year ago, had dumped their last stew pot. The smoke of their fire went higher and higher. A man come down the line. He ducked his head in the blizzardy wind and waved old number nine. He walked off down the cinder dump till he came to the same old spot. And there was the same three men again Mm -hmm. around that same little pot. Red went to his knees and he hollered, please, don't pull that trigger on me. I did not get my business fixed, but he did not get his say. A gun wheeled out of an overcoat and it played the old one-two. And Red was dead when the other two men sat down to eat their stew. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So that's where the name East Texas Red comes from. But I can tell you that... My friend, East Texas Red, yep. he's not really very mean. He's a good no. guy.
1: Good, good. <laughs> just a cool name. Well, that's nice to know that source. Yeah. And I didn't know Kil- Kilgore was a town. I only really know you go, Kilgore. Not just
0: a name, like Kilgore Trout.
1: That, I was just about to say that. And you know where that name came from? Theodore Sturgeon. Um, Vonnegut made the name up because it was a fish name, Trout. Um, because Theodore Sturgeon was a very popular science fiction writer, I suppose. Maybe a little bit of a competitive feeling there. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> funny, actually. It is pretty funny. Yeah. So, yeah. hey, on the
0: subject yeah. of of music, I yeah. want to recommend a podcast episode. Okay. Um, I'm wanna, specifically, I want to recommend episode number 265, which is the September 22nd episode of Cameron DeWitt's excellent podcast that I've mentioned here before called get up in the cool and on it he interviews one of my favorite musicians who's Vivian Williams Vivian Williams is an 83 year old fiddler she lives in Seattle and her and her husband Phil Williams who sadly passed uh, about four or five years ago um, played together for oh, I don't know, so many decades, um, and they were, they had studied history, and they they took a very historical approach to finding their fiddle tunes, uh, and as well, in old-time music, we think often, we think of old-time music as Appalachian music. That's right. the first thing we think of, and I'll tell you that some people um, from that region think not only that that's the only kind of uh, old-time music that Certain regional styles are the only way to play it. But in fact, there's a lot of variety uh, in old time music. Uh, Vivian Williams uh, said, old time is not one thing, it's regional. There's Appalachian, Missouri style, Texas style, Canadian, Northern Missouri, Métis, and others. And then, of course, here in Canada, we break that down further. Canadian can be Métis, Manitoba, Ottawa Valley, Quebecois, Maritime, or Cape Breton. So, yeah. um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of kinds of old time music, and we think of it also as always coming through the oral tradition. You know, learning from the old guy who makes moonshine down in the holler and also right. plays fiddle. Um, But there's also a written tradition of old-time music, and that's one of the areas that Vivian Williams has explored. So on this podcast, they play six or seven tunes uh, with Cameron DeWitt backing her up on banjo, and he's an excellent banjo uh, Mm -hmm. player. Um, And they they talk about uh, her history in the Pacific Northwest and um, the kinds of influences on folk music in the Pacific Northwest. If you're interested in those kinds of folk traditions, uh, and particularly if you're interested in hearing how regional styles differ, I highly recommend this. Uh, she's uh, a great interview; is very entertaining to to listen to, and as well, uh, a, a heck of a great player. Still in her eighties, she's really, really fantastic. Wonderful I have to say, um, uh, Vivian and. Uh, and her husband founded a record company and a publishing company in 1967 called Voyager Records, which still exists. That's and, awesome. um, and you can order up their music and, and books and stuff there. Very cool. I, I have to stop for to a second. I'm podcast. sorry. Okay. I have to stop.
1: All right. No problem. Hello. Hello. You're still recording. Uh-oh.
0: Yes, and I'm doing a podcast right now and I can't listen to a commercial about air duct uh, uh, cleaning. Oh, I thought oh, you, this was an important call. <laughs> I thought I recognized the number, but obviously I didn't. Uh, clearly, uh, clearly, this is a problem. Do you think you might be able to take me off your list? I don't even have any ducks. I have geese, but I don't have ducks.
1: <laughs> oh, he hung up. Oh, they hung up on you. Good. I guess that worked. Okay. Oh, they don't Thank even for that say goodbye. They don't even to... say goodbye. They don't even say goodbye. They
0: don't. I know. No. As soon as, as soon as you
1: tell them you don't have ducks, that's yeah. it. They're gone. Yeah, I've had fun with cats the last couple of weeks. Oh, really? Well, they've got uh, my clients and friends have cats, and um, this morning at the hotel, I saw a woman with a backpack specially designed for cats. And I could hear it meowing in her backpack and she was talking away to it in the lobby with her mask on and everything. But these cats are very cute. They're senior cats where I'm painting at the house. And um, one of them, they've got a sunroom in this new house. And this one cat is insane. She comes in and I'm sleeping in the sunroom at night. Whereas
0: other cats are perfectly safe.
1: Right, right. She goes right into not only the hottest spot in the room where the sun goes directly on the carpet, but she lies on plastic and she's even laid on my plastic suitcase. I have a vinyl PVC suitcase. Up uh, she's so crazy. I took a picture of her because she was so funny. Um so it's been nice to have cats around. I don't often see animals and live with them
0: anymore. If I tried to take one of our cats yeah. and insert <laughs> him or her into a backpack. Oh my god. The blood
1: yeah <laughs> would be everywhere. <laughs> Obviously this woman in the hotel had been, she must have put the cat in there since she was a kitten. And it was a really fancy backpack, had a little, I don't know, I think it was a, like a had meow on the back of it, like the word, um, I was quite taken to it. And she followed me into the bathroom and it was fussing around around the <laughs> sink and everything. It was very strange. I, I guess not unlike what we might think many cat people are like, <laughs> right, Eugene? <laughs> I love the idea of, of, of Jacques going into a backpack.
0: Oh my God. You know, he's had to, he's had an infection in his paws and uh, he had to get a, a shot of antibiotics last week. And then he gets another one or two weeks ago, he gets another one this week and he's had to be on a short course of prednisone. And that means pilling him. Right. Well, he is a pro. He is such a pro at avoiding getting pilled. I got one or two in him, but after that, he learned how to back out. So, you you know, and if you try to grab him, then he learns how to dig his claws in. Or he's also good at um, at just biting your finger.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we, <laughs> that's we not going to happen in a backpack.
0: Yeah. So I've been using the Carlisle stinky tuna and he doesn't know that I hide the drugs in the right. tuna. Right. So, Very good. so that's the moral of the story is hide the drugs in the tuna.
1: Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Hey, how about that squid game? Did you finish it? Yeah,
0: yeah, we did too. Yeah. Although Sheila missed an episode, she uh, she didn't watch the episode where they paired up.
1: Oh, that's, okay.
0: That's probably good. She might not have got past that. That was a heart. Oh, why? Because so, it was so difficult. Because it was heartbreaking. It was so. Of course, everybody picks the oh. one person they want to be on a team with, and then yeah. finds out that one of them is going to die. Yeah, that really sucked. It was I mean, really they didn't well. pull any punches in their misery.
1: No, they really um, played it all the way. And I, uh, I think it had to happen. It also developed our compassion for the characters, because some of them were unlikable. And um, some were, you know, really changing. I'm so in love with the main guy. I just love him. He's so complex. And, and I was so mad at him in that episode. I think you know why. Although I had a strong feeling that my hunch from the very beginning of the series was correct. And it was correct. Oh yes. That, uh, <laughs> that number one
0: was really number one.
1: <laughs> I knew it. I was pretty sure. Um, I guess it's because. Very much like the prisoner. The prisoner. Cause it is set up like the prisoner. And also from Herman Hest's journey to the East. This is a long held um, Asian motif um, in, in Buddhism or uh kind of humble culture is that you you are surrounded by somebody you meet somebody and they seem completely inconsequential and yet they're the hermit wisdom god right that's not unusual in journey to the east he is um on his hiking through the mountains and he thinks that there's a guy that just does everything he cooks for everybody he's just a low a low status personality but of course he is the master he is the sensei so I had a feeling that this guy was a sensei. What a complex story. I thought they did a great job with it. Well, I it don't is. know why and they would do any more series though.
0: I, I know really they need to stop. It's, it's going to be
1: hard for you when you find out they're going to do a season. Oh, two I know.
0: After. It's going to be heartbreaking because I'll watch it and I'll be <laughs> disappointed. That's what that's what always happens. They, they can't help it because someone's going to offer this guy a squillion dollars to do mm-hmm. another one he'll go would that oh, be a squidillion okay. dollars yeah a squillion. it's like a squillion. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know if it's more or less than a squillion, but it's yeah. that's a lot um you know i i think the the, the question after seeing the whole series mm-hmm. in which on the one hand you as horrifying as it gets. And it seems like every episode got more and more horrifying as they found more and more depths of depravity. Right. Um, you can't stop watching it. It's very, Mm -hmm. very curious. And then at the end you find out the conclusion that everybody had to know all along, you know, that really it's like everything else. You're, you're, um, you're a game to the super rich. That's right. Right? Uh, and you know, is this a logical conclusion
1: of, of capitalism? Is that yep. what this is about? I you think know? there is that. I um, think it's definitely anti-capitalist and anti-inequality. Um, um, it's definitely obviously dealing with the fact that, um, and you know, you think they start out with the characters. This is kind of cool that they are depraved. They're gambling addicts. They go into debt. And then of course, you know, you've got the rich. They're in debt too, and they own, it's not unlike parasite where it's like all of a sudden the dynamic really changes in in the show and which also makes you care about the characters because they do not start out as the nicest people per se there's a pic but
0: you you get to know them and you realize that they're people
1: right and it also makes a great commentary on our attitude towards animals um you know as much as i romantically love horse racing i hate the whole horse racing business and they don't mess around with that there's a scene of horse racing in the first episode where they're gambling next thing you know the humans are the horse race yep you know so uh it definitely um plays on that so if we don't like the humans being used for um gambling purposes of the rich why are we using horses that way and dogs right the greyhound you know you've got all the rescue greyhound um things going
0: um, on. And I think what really makes the series doubly effective is when they have the opportunity to leave the game. Yeah. And they come back.
1: They come back.
0: You know, it says that their daily lives are more miserable than a life in which you you face your imminent mm-hmm. horrible brutal death. Mhm. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know that there's a kind of adrenaline Mm -hmm. in living on the edge of death that they're also attracted to, uh, especially the ones who are gambling addicts.
1: Yes. And it turns out that the creator of the game and the leader is was a gambling addict, too. He was, um, you know, there's a whole thing with hands off fathers in it, too. And all of a sudden, you've got this main character with the old man. They're starting to have this relationship. And it. You know, they both, there's one scene when they're paired off and they're playing a marble game and they recreate uh, a neighborhood. Do you remember that? In yes. that one scene that yeah. Sheila missed. And both of them think the neighborhood's familiar. That is very weird to me. I was like, are they related? Um, it's definitely psychologically they're related because they're a team and they care about each other. But is it possible that he really is his son? Oh, my goodness. Because, I, had, I hadn't considered that at Because he talks all. about his son a lot the old man remembers his son and he was an absent father because he was a gambler. He was busy making money all his life. Right. And taking risks in the business world. I don't know. There's I a never
0: f- even considered that. There's
1: but... a f- they're definitely father son in terms of their roles in the game. But is it possible that they, there's a biological background to that too. And they don't remember each other because um the other guy talks about his father, I just thought I was so good, and I couldn't believe I was watching the show. When I saw the, it arrive at Netflix, and I saw the image of it, I was like, "Oh, who would watch that?" <laughs> well, actually, too, I, when I heard about it. I thought, I just
0: thought, "Oh, that doesn't sound all that interesting." It sounded uh, horrible, but it me. only took about four minutes, and and all of a sudden, I was yes, sucked right into it. Me too, and that's that's as soon also... as they started playing that first individual game with the yeah. with the cards or the. Yes.
1: Packets or whatever. The yeah, that was it. Yes. Over. Like yes. that totally hooked me. That was a hook. I, I. Did we ever find out what was inside of those or were they just like folded paper? Oh, the money was inside of them, yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't
0: remember. I know they had to flip it over in order to win. Yes.
1: Yes. And um, did we ever find out why they have that stairwell like that? Because it seems like it should have been a purpose.
0: I, I think it it looks like, I think it's there because it looks like a video game.
1: Okay, so it puts the players into the vibe of a video game.
0: That's right. So So it's it's like we we now live in the world of the game and by putting them in this environment, which can only be like a video game environment, suddenly they're there. And it also alludes to the fact that in video games, um, we regularly kill off characters with no compassion in the most violent possible way
1: okay there's also right. a lot of stairwells in video games that's right that's what i'm saying is that yeah. that's a
0: video game environment oh that yeah they're in and okay. it's like the behavior in there is is very much video game behavior right i think it's blown away with with just because they're another character and it's just what what you right. do from your gaming console oh
1: and you know like why is it so visually compelling of course it's because there's an audience watching it i'm not thinking straight you know you've got all the rich people watching it they watch that part i guess it's like when the football team comes out from the bleachers and everybody goes nuts and they'll often have you know an nfl they'll have all kinds of mascots and cheerleaders and and there's almost like a gauntlet that the quarterback comes running out of those stairwells are almost like this transition for the players as well a ritualistic transition and I suppose visually pleasing to us but visually pleasing to the characters watching the Betty but it's crazy I just like I want an explanation for these stairs <laughs> I loved it and I did not at all believe I would um you know I I think I I don't even know why I guess because you said you were going to watch it too and I had started watching it I just kind of stayed with it that first episode though they did a good job of of getting you involved. Very yeah. good job. You know, I love it.
0: I, I felt even though the conclusion
1: mm-hmm.
0: seemed obvious to me throughout yes. throughout the whole thing, and I think it was meant to be obvious. I think so. Um, nonetheless, when it was over, I felt a huge letdown. Oh. Like, oh, Eugene, why did you even watch this?
1: I know. Yeah, because. I- because
0: all of, you you watch all these characters get killed off for the amusement of uh an elite few people. Right. And the horribleness of that uh just really soured me when it sunk in even though I should have been prepared for that.
1: Yeah, that's true. And also we find out that they, you know, I had a feeling about the cop's brother too. It, it, it once it happens and it's revealed you go oh yeah I, I did kind of feel that was happening it almost seems obvious in some ways when it's over the whole show seems very obvious yes. but it doesn't take it away from it at all it's so compelling because you really care about them plus that one point the cop who's hiding as one of the um, referees and murderers right they because they kill people if you don't win you die and so they have this um, assassin brigade, if you will, that just shoots you after the game or during the game if you're failing. Well, one of the co- a cop is hiding as one of these guys, and that's got to be a Halloween costume—the tracksuit and the squid. The, that <laughs> thing, those are going to be Halloween costumes for sure.
0: Oh yes, there's going to there's going to be lots of kids, yeah. which is
1: really kind of sick. Well, uh, except for the message. I think the message is very profound. It's definitely... I think it's pretty
0: dark that kids are kids are watching this.
1: I don't know. I think I would have watched it when I was 11 or 12 if I could have. I mean, I watched Billy Jack and different movies that were completely violent when I was a kid. The, remember, Valentine's Day Massacre. <laughs> the most violent movie of my existence when I was a kid. Um, oh, yeah. So then you also see that um, it does also I thought the writer of the show said there wouldn't be another maybe he's interested in another season I thought it ended definitely with the idea of another season because they we kept think that our open, hero right? he transforms and he becomes part of the, the game that we hate he becomes representing himself as the people that we don't like but is he
0: input. not going to come back to destroy the game yes I, I hope I, so I think that's, the, uh, that's, I think the, that's it he's disguising
1: himself as a rich so that he can be um, dismantle it and um, you know I thought that the it hints that the cop is also going to come back like he transformed.
0: I, don't, I don't know he he looked pretty dead having got shot and, yeah, that's and true. dumped off a cliff I, I guess
1: I was thinking of like the relationship with his brother and stuff I don't know
0: yeah I don't so, know you know when we finished Squid Game we really needed an antidote oh what'd you watch so Sheila found I mean Sheila, I don't even know where she finds these shows. She found this show called Baking Impossible.
1: Oh, I didn't get a chance to watch it. I'm looking forward to hearing about it.
0: So it's Baking Impossible is it's a game, much like all of those design shows or Uh cooking cook-offs and all those sorts of things. Yep. Love Um, them. Okay, so what they do is in this game, they pair a baker with an engineer. And some of the engineers are like aerospace engineers, robotic engineers, and an expert like baker or pastry chef. Okay. And they call them Baconeers. Each team is a (laughs) team of Baconeers. Okay. And they're competing against all these other teams. And there's tons of teams. I don't know how many, uh, and they have to go through different missions. Um, so the missions include, um, one is to make a, uh, an an all edible robot and you make the edible robot and and it has to be a functional robot and they they take it through a stress test which is like an obstacle course where the robot has to do things like drive over a a humped bridge Mm -hmm. drive over a field of tiny marshmallows um, all these different tests in order to to see if it's going to work and so you see all the different you know robots fall apart because they're made of cake right uh, and at the end, well, you you get judged on the like the robotic capability, but they also have one of the judges is also an expert at baking, and you get judged on how good <laughs> tasting the robot is. Mm-hmm. So they also have um, one of the episodes you have to make an edible Rube Goldberg machine. <laughs> um, one you have to make an edible mini putt course. Uh, one, you have to make a city block with a five, at least one five foot tall skyscraper. Wow! And then, and so you have to make it hundred percent edible. So they have to figure out. They know that they're going to be tested by an earthquake, so uh, so they know that they have to figure out. They have to engineer it to be as earthquake proof as possible. So they have solutions where they do things like make the cake in layers with gelatin in between. Um, so that the different layers kind of float on top of one another right and they have to find ways of gluing it together and they discover like ways to make their own epoxy out of things like melted down microwave gummy bears Mm. (laughs) mixed (laughs) in with various different other ingredients and they make epoxy out of it so they uh they they put each one of these things onto uh a table, which is like an earthquake machine, and it it shakes them, and you see buildings <laughs> fall over, and then of course you have to eat the the confection at the Make end. Make sure it tastes good. Totally goofy show, completely yeah. goofy show, yeah. absolutely perfect after the Squid Game squid because game, yeah. goofy, childlike games in which nobody gets shot. Right, right. It's just.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's still the gladiator setting of uh, Great British Bake Off, where someone's oh, going to yes, get eliminated. Yes, of course, but
0: it's just so friendly and fun, right. and and the goofiness of it, pairing the engineer and the baker and making yes. everything edible. It yes. it is way more interesting than a lot of those shows Good. because it's just so
1: darn creative. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's
0: like mixing a science fair with baking.
1: Well, Project Runway does a lot of that too because they give them unconventional materials to make. Couture and that really does kind of all of a sudden you see how talented people are and how creative they are if they're making out of a car part they're making clothing, you know, Um, so they try to do that too. And sometimes on the great British baking show there's been a couple of engineers who were bakers and they often are trying to make you know something they do a 3D thing that moves or something, but this sounds like it's on steroids.
0: It's so much fun.
1: Yeah. Sounds I, mean, I usually
0: don't, don't really buy into these sorts of shows, but, um, yeah. I think especially right after watching the squid game, it was the perfect decompression television. Right. And right. so I highly recommend it. If you just need to, uh, uh, to waste away a couple of evenings yeah. watching a goofy game in which nobody yeah. gets shot. Yeah. Um, I recommend this one because it's so just funny. a lot of fun and it's super creative.
1: Right. Um, you know there's something very uh, here's a good contrast for you just I wanted to remember to tell you about this because I didn't know if you've heard of them and it's different than Toronto and Chicago two years ago when Stag and Karen we came down to Tennessee we went to Nashville looking for her to buy a house okay so she's been on a two-year journey and uh, she chose not to be in Nashville and a smaller town um, we kept seeing on trees You know how they say, we'll buy houses, we'll buy cars. They always had these bad signs, just cardboard signs, sometimes handwritten with a phone number saying stump grinder. Well, fuck, we would just laugh and laugh. I mean, Steg and I would just go stump grinder. It sounds like a Tarantino character or a Harry (laughs) (laughs) or Harry Harry Cruz novel. Right. And we'd be like stump grinder. It's just so wrong. Well, I've come to be very familiar with stump grinding this past couple of weeks. Uh, as you know, we woke up at around 7am one morning on this brand new, they owned the house for five days, and a tree fell on the house. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know what the fuck the chances are of that happening. But it didn't damage the house. So I was like, look, the universe is telling you, you know, the um, they had an arborist come and say some of these trees are going to have to come down. I said, well, the universe has just told you it's sooner than later. And then nothing bad happened. So they had an emergency removal, but they they hired a company and they had to take down five trees. It was very sad. But these trees were um, three of them were invasive, called a Cleveland pear or a um, there's another name for it too. But somebody had mentioned Cleveland pear, and they were came from Asia. They were brought in in a, you know about 40 years ago. They grow really fast, but they're fragile. Well, you have to get rid of the stumps. I have never been aware that there was a stump issue while I'm painting. I took all the cupboard doors out onto the back garden and, um, well, I'm walking around if I don't fricking trip over all the stumps back there. I mean, I almost like killed myself several times. So I was like, ah, I think stump grinding is something you really it's need to do. It is a thing. It's a thing. So we had a great stump grinder out there and it took away all the trunks. So after the tree's gone, they take away the whole thing and dig it to the ground. It was so cool. Now I know what a stump grinder is that was a kind of a cool different thing than you don't I don't see in Chicago. Do you see it in Toronto uh yeah you see some some of that especially in in
0: areas like ours where there's been a lot of redevelopment and and oh. trees are being cut down
1: oh they uh, come in with that huh
0: they they will they, they'll cut down the tree, and then usually the next season, they'll come in mm. with the stump grinder, and oh. uh, and then they, they'll plant like a lawn or whatever over it. Right. And over. Uh, a lot of times, if they if they try to plant a lawn over a stump, um, mm-hmm. they get a particular kind of mushroom. Oh, there's, cool. There's, there's two varieties that they get uh, oh, wow. th- that are uh, both part of the Caprinus family. One is the one, um, uh, well, I guess maybe there's multiple ones from this family. There's mica caps and there's the one we call tippler's bane, which if you eat, you get, uh, if you eat along with alcohol, you get sick. But if you're not, have no alcohol, you don't get sick. So uh, very interesting. That's how, that idea is where ant abuse came from
1: i was just about to say is
0: that where abuse came yes, that's is. amazing exactly oh wow uh, and there's there's another member of that family that grows on lawns where there's a lot of organic matter like that and that's the one we call shaggy manes <laughs> i and, know
1: those yeah
0: yeah shaggy manes yeah. they they come up and um uh they're they don't last for very long uh mushrooms mushrooms one of the things that they do is their their job is to become a spore factory and yeah. to uh, disseminate the the spores so that there right. can be the the organism can survive, right? Yeah. It can grow and spread. And you know, different mushrooms have different ways of spreading out their spores. Some mm-hmm. of them, like your um grocery store mushrooms, have gills. Mm-hmm. Some of them, like porcini mushrooms have pores, Hmm. Um, some like uh, the ones we call hedgehog mushrooms have teeth, but the shaggy manes have a process with the best name. It's called deliquescence and shaggy mane mushrooms after a day will turn black And then the black starts to dissolve into like a black ink and the whole mushroom dissolves into this black ink. And Mm -hmm. that's how the spores are spread. And that process is called deliquescence. So if you wanted to pick some shaggy manes, let's say you saw a place in Knoxville where there was shaggy manes growing on a lawn, two things, make sure you find out if anyone's putting pesticides on that lawn because you don't want to eat. Shaggy manes from somebody's lawn. Oh, where wow. Yeah. Adding pesticides. Yeah. Um, the other thing is if you see them, pick them in the morning, cook them in the evening. Don't wait till the next day because even after being picked, they'll start to deliquesce and Ooh. they'll quickly get really disgusting. But a yeah. fresh picked shaggy mane mushroom makes the best mushroom soup <laughs> Good. That you could ever imagine. That's cool. That's great. But I digress. Sorry to interrupt you. No, not at all. No,
1: that um, like a shaggy dog story. Um, No, that was fantastic. Very cool. Um, I saw No Time to Die. Oh, did you really? Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I've thought about it here and there, but I don't think you're supposed to cry at a James Bond film. (laughs) But you did. I did. Um, It was pretty good. It was maybe. I'm going to sound like you now. It was a good half hour too long, partly uh, because well, it was almost three hours, right? Yeah, it was 163 minutes. I had to look it up. We didn't talk about this last week, do we? Uh, nope. No. So, uh, yeah, I don't think I'd seen it yet. But I, I went to the theater in a heat, in a hot, a hot city without taking a sweater. So it, it was very uncomfortable the last hour of the film because I was freezing to death. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Theater air conditioning.
1: Yeah, which I normally love, but I was not prepared for it. But um, no, it was was good. It didn't have tons of action. It had some action. But it was definitely in the vein. Someone had read the essay on chain or or mythology and heroes where domesticity cannot maintain a hero's presence. The hero must go. The hero must uh, not be part of the family unit. So this is definitely a James Bond. Somebody did it very self-consciously. You know, it choked me up because it is the end of, um, it's a great, I I should have checked into when it was filmed. Um, I I know they delayed it through pandemic. So it must have been filmed mostly before the pandemic and edited after. Uh, So it wasn't any of the events that occurred during the pandemic that wrote the story, but it certainly felt like it had been. So I don't know how... You know, I think that there was um DNA and viruses uh, killing okay. people, which was pretty interesting. If they hadn't written it during the pandemic, mm. and um and then you know, I, uh, I've
0: been avoiding this one.
1: I know. I don't think you like it.
0: I've You're been not avoiding a big fan it because almost every time I get sucked into the Bond film, <laughs> and I go, oh, "I don't want to see another Bond film. I don't want to see another Bond film." And right. then I'll go to see the Bond film. I'll go, "Oh man, you know." I just don't need it. I just don't need the kind of, uh, really the kind of sexism. Yes. Don't need that. I don't need the fact that they're usually boring. There's all this action, but Bond films, most of them, like, try to watch what's that one, Thunderball? Try to actually watch Thunderball start to finish without (laughs) getting up and doing something else. (laughs) I mean, it's impossible. It's just
1: boring. It's so funny.
0: Goldfinger is watchable. Mm-hmm. Thunderball. Oh, this is from awesome. Russia with love is a lot of fun. All, all the all the Roger Moore ones, man. I can't even watch those ones. Right. Fair and then, then I remembered the the one. There was something about the one with George Lazenby and Diana Reagan. That one too. Oh, is she. Uh, I think so. In um uh, and Telly is the bad guy. What was it? <laughs>
1: I forgot forgotten the name Oh, her majesty sequence. Yeah, so so yeah. I remembered there was something Can't good believe about I that. that,
0: And and I watched it on some streaming service a while ago yeah. uh, because I thought you know everyone said that George Laseby wasn't very good but uh, I remember it as being good. Well the only thing I was really any good is Telly Savalas was in it. Okay. And there were some good skiing scenes. <laughs> I tried to get through it it Was impossible. It was You're a, a Matt Helm fan.
1: You're more Matt Helm, where they are oh, even well, more it's just stupid. Matt Helms
0: is completely stupid.
1: Yes, yes. Whereas sometimes it seems like James Bond is it's been so serious. Um, I get why it's been serious, it's trying to deal with its own history. Um, it's guilt of being sexist and everything. And I and I think those are all good things to do. I think that's fine. Um, they probably could have just done it. 20 years ago or 15 years ago and made it more interesting. It's what we what attracts people to James Bond is it can't, it can't, it crushes in on itself. It's just collapsing in on itself. So they really did deal with it. It was goodbye to the the old white male hero. And um, it's a good thing you're not one of those guys, Eugene, so you don't have to worry. You're a good guy. And uh, I'm but certainly it, not a hero. <laughs> I
0: don't
1: you know even I have mean? a cape. I I I he they've addressed the pat the part where that hero does not fit for us anymore. Bye-bye. And it's very there was drinks toasted to it and everything. It was very self-conscious. Um, all of that was fine. One of the first times it reminded me of one of my favorite Bond films, um, where it wasn't actually um an official James Bond film, I don't think. It was it was off. I don't know if they call him James Bond, they must have, but it's Sean Connery and it's called Never Say Never Again. And he's out of shape, he's um, overweight, he's, he doesn't have any stamina. I don't think he's attractive, his hair is all messy. And, but he's called back into service, so he has to start you know using an exercise bike and stuff like that. <laughs> I love that one because it was James Bond deconstructed. And I suppose this is too in some ways. Um, The acting is good. Everyone's wonderful. The bad guy was fantastic. It's the guy who played um, Malik, who played um, Freddie Mercury and uh-huh. iRobot. He he was really good. And he had the bet, ba- you know, I always liked the bad guy's lair. And this bad guy's lair was- You gotta cool. have a
0: lair. If you're going to be a bad guy, yeah. you really need a lair. need a lair. That's the best thing about being a bad guy. You yes, a lair. and I
1: thought Javier Bardem's lair was really cool, but this one was really good. It was on an island off of Japan. And it was super beautiful aesthetically. It was, and it was so dangerously toxic. It was excellent.
0: I see. And it did he great. have henchmen
1: and babes? Yeah. The oh, one of the women in the early part of the film was fantastic. She stole the whole movie for me. I believe she's French. I don't know her name, but the way they filmed her and she, you know, it was an evening gala. There was a tuxedo. There was a ball gown. Her evening dress um, was poetry in motion. It was really cool because the action. She was um, a very efficient uh, spy, and um, she was good at fighting and a warrior. And her dress moved really gorgeous. So you know that's pretty bad when I'm noticing that stuff. <laughs> it was a good movie. I'll give it seven out of ten. Seven out of
0: ten. That's yeah. pretty. That's a pretty yeah. good rating. I would say. Um,
1: and I guess I did manage to watch Out of Past last night.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. So
1: why don't we we talk about that?
0: Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Out of the Past? They might not know it because it is, after all, a 1947 movie, so it isn't uh, necessarily something everyone's seen yesterday. So
1: 1947 is important because it's after the Second World War. And during the Second World War in the United States and probably in Canada and England, men were gone and jobs still had to be done. This is a cliché. argument, but women were perfectly fine at doing those jobs. They they just went ahead and did it. And that might be one of the scariest concepts for some patriarchy out there, right? So in 1947, uh, these women were highly efficient. They'd proven themselves, so why not have a villain, a villainess, a bad girl who's just as efficient as a man and that's oh, yes. what you have and, in out of the Jane past. Greer is a wonderful femme fatale isn't she? Oh my god um, and she's and just really evil. Very she is so evil it's hard to believe. Um, she's really she cold. There are people makes, who are cold. Characters. Virgin cold. O'Shaughnessy seem not so bad in the Maltese she is Falcon. She's way cold. She's so cold and this baby face oh my god her baby face no wonder what happens is Uh, Robert Mitchum gets involved with her and he, um, she's bad and he says, baby, I don't care. She's so beautiful, he decides to go towards death. (laughs) And the whole movie is really a death dream, not unlike, I think this is a great argument back to Vertigo being a death dream because the movie has him. He's this slow moving, quiet, but he can talk because there's tons of voiceover. But he's a quiet guy who doesn't say too much and then he'll talk you can see him fall in love before your eyes. It's yeah. quite fascinating. And
0: well wearing the film noir uniform.
1: Right? Film noir he has, he has uniform. the uh, fedora and the cigarette. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, I guess this was his breakout role. I, I didn't realize that him and Kirk Douglas, who I couldn't believe Kirk Douglas was and I had to get up. And I'm watching it on my computer, which is a pretty good screen here. I'm, sure. I'm talking on it right now because my desktop is my my um, laptop. <laughs> I have to take my desktop as a laptop uh, because I don't have a laptop. And so um, I watched on the screen and it was really good. Is this when we
0: mentioned Patreon?
1: This could be where we mentioned (laughs) Patreon. If you want to help me get um, a a laptop or help me um, travel to the UK, I'm on a hardcore fundraising for going to the UK. You can go to my um, GoFundMe page and, um, I'd like to go in November. Is that yeah. asking so too much? So, if you
0: have money you haven't spent yet, and you're you're looking, you're you're looking for a way to spend it, I tell you, you could support
1: Candy, you could
0: support this podcast, yes, um, or and, you can go out and just get a case of beer, and, and that's and, okay too.
1: That's right. Obviously, I am putting the money into use because I'm in Knoxville working on my documentary. So we're, we're 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 it's going to um it's going straight to production, and you get to see that happen. Um, okay. So what else can we say about this film? Kirk Douglas also breakout film for him, and um and so with, a with the Kirk kid, the Kirk Go
0: Douglas ahead. is straightforward. Kirk the Kirk Douglas character, he's uh, like a crooked gambler, right? Yeah. I mean, his character is very i think very unidimensional we we understand that that completely the robert mitchum character on the other hand um he plays on the edge of being the reformed guy or the guy who is evil at heart and yeah. throughout right up to the end you're not sure if he's if he is uh sucked into her evilness or if he oh. is um uh, uh Uh, pulls himself away from that and was planning on going back to uh, his girlfriend in the town where his gas station is, who's, you know, is much more, um, that's the world where, that's the world of light. But the world yes. of Kirk Douglas and, and Jane Greer is the world of darkness, right? Right. And, and everything up, is exce- like like the, the lighting and the whole thing really
1: yes. accentuates that yes. idea. Yeah, yeah. That you brought up a good point. And so you've got this guy, he's got a wonderful girlfriend, he works in a small town, and he's got a little friend that's like his his um mentee uh, who looks up to him and he is deaf. He's a teenager and he's deaf. And that adds a very interesting element into the um film because this kid can't talk he has to write things down and there is something about talking in the movie it comes up every now and then um about people who are too talkative or not talkative enough and robert mitchum comes across as being a strong silent type he's not but he co- he's playing that really beautifully so he's got a girlfriend in this small town it turns out that he has a terrible story he has to tell her and he has to go back in time because he's been called back in like just when he thought he got out, he gets pulled back in. That's
0: right, but he's going to come clean because he they really loves this girl,
1: and he's going to tell her the whole sordid past with this um woman that um she said she accidentally killed somebody, but she never stole forty thousand dollars from the bad guy from the, the mobster, and you start to have this um time what do you call a flashback. So it's a flashback structure, but then it comes slowly into the present, and um. That's quite interesting. And the way that Robert Mitchum moves is encapsulated by the end of the film when he um the the he gets reconnected with these mobsters again and it's right at the finale and she says, Hurry up, get in the car. He continues to move very, very slowly. And I think it's because he knows he's going towards death anyway. Why Rush? That's right. Yeah. So there's some great lines in this movie. There's um a um the, the gangster finds out that he thinks that Robert Mitchum has killed somebody. This is back into the current time. So he blackmails him into going to do some work in San Francisco, whereas he was living in a small town, uh, California, idyllic. And um, there's some good lines in the beginning of the movie in the flashback when um, you find out that she's been killed or she shot somebody. And one of the one of the henchmen says, what, a guy can't get shot in his own home by a dame without the whole world knowing? It was so hilarious and the way he says it is very very funny. Well I mean you
0: might say looking at it now that oh this is this has got all of the film noir tropes it's like <laughs> it's just copied all of them but then no, you realize they no them.
1: they actually invented them. Yes they invented right. them for sure and it's it's done by a, um, a French director um tournier i forgot his name whose father was a famous cinematographer as well or a filmmaker yes and,
0: and he did a number of films through the 40s Cat that people. really explored and developed this kind of genre yeah Cat Cat people, people um uh experiment perilous uh, canyon passage and i walked with a zombie
1: yeah all fantastic film noir. right so
0: great director and this i mean this film is it's the noir package. It's the deluxe noir package. It it's is. got everything. Yeah. It's got the lighting. It's got the fashion. It has the characters of uh, you don't know wh- where they, they stand morally. Right. Um, it's got all of those sorts of passion plays going on. Yeah. In it. uh, it's very tightly acted. It's very, very highly stylized uh and, and it, in spite it, of that it
1: sucks you right into their world it sucks you right in and it does start out maybe a little bit slow but it gets very very complicated as the film goes on the second half is is quite complicated um there's another weird line in it was she got sick vaccinated did you know oh, yes that yes that was a weird one because the, the truth is with a vaccination some people do get sick from it that's there's right. a percentage of but people. But it was like an
0: off-handed it. thing. She was it sick was, from the oh, vaccination. Even, meaning yeah. that it's like, it's not a big deal. You're sick for a day or whatever.
1: Right, right. Um, then there's another one where the, the she says, I don't want to die. And Mitchum says, I don't either. But if I have to, I'll die last. It's so good. <laughs> He's so committed. And you know, you have to wonder, Weren't it's possible he was uh, in the service in the Second World War. There's always that thing too, which yeah. they don't. Because some of these film noir guys were previous soldiers and that's where they get some of their skills this
0: director was very fortunate he had a a great cinematographer nicholas museraka yes Um, the cinematography is just brilliant in it it's It's so beautiful it's crisp and gorgeous And every scene is just stunning and lovingly put together. Yes, it's would... One of the things I love about, about Film Noir is that the compositions are just so dramatic and Definitely. delightful. Uh, it was also based on a book. It was based on a, a book by uh, Daniel Mainwaring called Build My Gallows High. And he
1: also adapted it for film. Right, and so did James M. King. I think they hired a couple of people. Um, But, you know, that title... Yeah, they did a number of rewrites after the... uh, That title gives away what happens in the novel. I mean, he's building his gallows high. You know, it's like the moral high ground. He knows he's going to die. He's ready to risk his life for it. And I think that must have appealed to a lot of people who had been in the Second World War where they were on the right side of history. You know, Uh, the lip reader, though really was a wonderful touch. And well, I, and, you know, and has the, the really
0: key moment towards the end, when, oh. um, when the uh, the good girl girlfriend um, asks, was he gonna go off with her? And the only person who can give the answer is the person who can't speak.
1: Yes. And I am not gonna ruin this. I well, will not give the answer. I will point out something. I won't give out the answer, but a couple of other things happened right before that is that there's a guy in town who's always loved the good girl and he mm-hmm. thinks that Robert, Robert Mitchum, isn't good enough for her. And, and he's probably right. Yes. I mean, he's definitely right. Um, you know, but he, she's well, not interested in him. She's interested in Robert Mitchum. Absolutely. So um, he said, I can't, after the funeral or the inquest, he's like, I can't take all this talking. I could let's go, should, go sit somewhere quietly and get away. And she goes, I can't right now, but she goes to the guy who can't talk. And then he does answer her questions. And um, but before that, which was I thought profound, and that little notebook uh, device was really would slow down the plot. That was what was interesting was you've got this intense commitment to plot and then you have someone who has to write down the answers and it would just, it, it just was like having so much fun with this idea of compelling plot. Um, <clears throat> but the part I thought you would really love, was that there's a very suspenseful part that's not unlike North by Northwest, where they're climbing around all these walks and there's a fishing scene and Robert Mitchum is about to be shot and the kid catches the Oh, it's guy. the best. It's so perfect. It's so perfect with the fishing rod. With the fishing the rod and a lure. Oh, come on. It saves the guy by casting at him. Now and that's it, a
0: good day of fishing.
1: That's a good day of fishing. And again, they knew they were competing that the audience wants an intense plot and they were having fun with how they could mess yes. with the plot with a fishing line come on with a fishing pole who would have thought so that was
0: really cool I'm going to give this film a 10 out of 10 Me too. I think it's as close to a perfect noir a perfect as, as you could as you could make it's just uh, yeah. so
1: absolutely perfect 10 out of 10 a perfect movie and a perfect film noir and it
0: you know i i spent and the summer great beloved actors wonderful to see them um yes. in their in their youth it, yes you know really absolutely fantastic
1: yeah a lot of fun i i want to see it again someday on a big screen i hope i can do that um because that it was would be so really great good. and now i just want to you know i do go through phases where i'll spend months watching film noir just obsess over it I always think I've seen everyone but I certainly do not remember this one that's for sure and I you know I must I I don't think I did watch it I did a Turner classic movies where they did a summer of film noir and then you could answer questions online and kind of go over it and they had essays and everything it was a lot of fun but I don't remember this movie being in it I'm sure it was but I must have missed it um, what else have we got here I've got, looking at my notes hey, do you ever uh, do you ever go on Twitch?
0: I don't know what Twitch is. Oh, well Twitch is Twitch is a platform in which um it was developed for gamers okay. and gamers would go on Twitch and play games and uh-huh. stream the games so you can watch gamers oh, yeah. play play their games. Okay. So I I first heard about Twitch uh through the the game of Go because there are yeah. Go streamers who stream on Twitch oh. and and um, more recently, I mentioned uh Charlie Walden, I think last week, who has uh a YouTube channel. Well, he's also on uh on Twitch
1: uh, okay.
0: now. And I think it's uh it can be a lucrative spot. Uh but I wanted to mention it because I stumbled upon a Twitch channel, well, really through uh through YouTube first. Uh, but it's called Botez Live. And I mentioned to this oh, to you yeah. the other day. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. wanted I wanted to talk about it yes. it's ostensibly it's about chess streaming mm-hmm. and you know i wouldn't have a lot of interest in chess streaming chess is fine it's interesting but it's uh, like i'm a, a go kind of fan and so i would sure in terms of the game i'm much more interested in watching go but i stumbled upon this channel Botez live which is uh contains videos on YouTube, but also lots of live streaming on Twitch. Um, And the live streaming, sometimes it's just chat. It has nothing to do with chess, but it's run by two sisters. The (laughs) Botez sisters, Uh Alexandra and Andrea. Alexandra is 26 and Andrea is 19. Um, They're both in the top 300 chess players on the planet. Alexandra wow. is, uh, has a title. She's a, uh, she's a FIDA, uh, woman's master is, I guess her title. Um, she's won five Canadian national girls championships. Um, the first one, I think she was age eight, wow. uh, the U S national girls title at 15. Uh, they were born in Dallas, raised in Vancouver. And, um, they've moved they moved down to somewhere in texas for a while uh to austin and i think they were going to be moving again but i'm not sure where to in any case i the what the initial video i stumbled into was these two young women hustling new york chess hustlers <laughs> who didn't know they were chess experts it's a scream it's so much fun (laughs) and the trash talking and they're trash talking back and you see doesn't take very many moves before the chess hustler suddenly stops talking and starts concentrating because he realizes that oh she can play Uh yeah and these two young women i really admire them because they've been very outspoken about um about um misogynism and uh, misogyny in in chess Mm -hmm. and really discrimination against systemic discrimination against women in the chess world. They've been very outspoken about that. And they have suddenly a lot of power. Why? They have 900,000 followers on Twitch. Just think about that. 900,000 plus another 450,000 subscribers to their YouTube channel.
1: that's crazy
0: these these women are just exploding in popularity and they're so much fun they just (laughs) i mean much like a podcast they talk yeah but they talk focused on on chess yeah and they do tons of these videos and the chess streaming and they've also done collaborations with other chess streamers um for instance uh uh, uh, Hikara Nakamura, who is the youngest American to become a, a grandmaster at 15 years old, wow. he's a streamer, and they've done collaborations with him. Uh, so they're really helping make chess popular, make chess yeah, popular good for timing women timing with uh, with, with Queen Gambit. Gambit. Very, yeah, very perfect. good timing, perfect. right? It's and it's it's like a perfect storm for them. So yes. they become monstrously popular, <laughs> and if you haven't heard about them. You're going to hear about them soon because they're just so popular. They're going to be very famous for a long time. If you ask me, even if you're not a chess fan, I recommend go either going on Twitch, making an account and checking out their live stream, or just watching some of the videos. Right, Lots of fun. And it's so much fun. They they'll play a game with these chess hustlers, a three minute game. Hmm. Imagine playing an entire an entire game of
1: chess where each player only has three minutes yeah that is super blitz yeah you know it reminds me of a couple of things one when you told me to go look at them i thought you gave me the wrong spelling or something because i was like why would you be watching this but it, they're very um uh rambunctious attractive women and um they, they capture your attention right away and um it reminds me of that book i gave you a long long time ago probably at least 2004 uh, a book about a guy he had written a book it didn't it was just a private uh, it was not a big seller but he was Canadian and he was a magician and he had written about the history of these guys that would play poker and steal the money from poker shar- sharks up and down the east coast at the turn of like 1900s and I, I don't remember what that book was but I really enjoyed it because it was like this unknown history of events and and these women really ripped Reminded me that that's kind of a superhero going and teaching hustlers lessons.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the reasons why it's so much fun. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're yeah. out hustling the hustlers. And then yeah. once the hustlers all get to know them, they also do a video in which they spend all day with makeup artists who turn them into old women. And oh. they, they show up in the park as like doddering old women. And they say, right. would you play a game of chess with me? Right. And of course they kick butt, right? Perfect. It's really, it's it. delightful. I really, really, Ugh. I really, really enjoy these, uh, these things. Even though I'm not a big chess fan, I'm probably going to get more interested in chess yeah. again. Yeah. Uh, and I love the fact that they're making chess accessible yes. and they're making it tremendous fun. It's not a a game for, you know, a stodgy old game that you sit Mm -hmm. in a a chess club, right? Right. You know, it's tremendous fun. And Now, is this in New York City? uh, A lot of the Hustler videos are in New York City, yes. Uh, As well, the other thing catapulting them to fame is Howard Stern made an offhanded comment about them, um, basically referring to their breasts. Yes, yes. And they just have jumped all over that. I'm sure and, they did. and they've just decided we're going to just, we're going to own this and we're going to scream it. And, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're going to fight the offhanded sexist comments yeah. uh, in the most powerful possible way. Good. Uh, it's just, so, it's so much fun. I really admire them. It's very, very cool. Uh, very cool. Two young, powerful women, um check them out. Uh, Botez Live. B-O-E-Z. I can't wait to watch them. I can't wait to watch them more. Like I said last time, I thought I thought you sent me the wrong link. I was like, okay. Oh, I know. It's a <laughs> I stumbled on it completely by accident. So funny. And, so funny. You know, I just saw that the chess hustler and I remembered uh the film Searching for Bobby Fisher. Yes. Uh and how compelling the chess hustler was mm-hmm. in in that film that was Lawrence fishburne i think Yes, it was yeah yeah so i started watching it and uh-huh. i started realizing what's happening it's like these two young women
1: are hustling the hustlers yeah you go girls mm-hmm. it's pretty fantastic hey you know speaking of new york chess games somebody's going to be in new york city next week someone you know very well why who's going to be in new york city next week Greg and i are going to new york city next week we're driving out to stay to see our friend fusion who i went to new 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 orleans with who met us in new orleans remember in june Mm -hmm. and so we're going to go stay with him for a couple days i'm going to give him some driving lessons he's getting his license and um you're you're giving driving lessons i am i've been in a car with you driving (laughs) i don't drive like that anymore I, I'm not a hot rod You know,
0: anymore. the first time I was in a car with you <laughs> oh, no. driving, I believe you had this old station wagon with a V8 engine and it had two speeds stopped oh, and I, to the floor.
1: <laughs> and it had an engine like that 425 engine or something. It was fantastic. It was something else. I, and and I you used, to used go, every ounce of that engine. I, I definitely did. I used to go at Jane and Finch, there would be hot rodders. I'd go out and 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 try to keep <laughs> up with them or beat them. I loved it. I was, I should have hustled those guys what i should have done if i'd known better i just liked humiliating them with my station wagon and um because it didn't look very powerful um yeah so we're going to drive out there and i don't drive like that anymore i i break for squirrels all right and, um so he's basically he's going to get some driving time with me it's not so much a lesson he's gonna we're gonna drive around connecticut and then apparently there's a killer kandinsky show at the guggenheim and uh some museums Was are a wrestler open. killer kandinsky Oh, I like that. that would be a great name for, uh... <laughs> Hey, Dr. K, was there a killer Kandinsky? I know, I know there's a killer a Kowalski. Name. Did you see that corn-fed picture of Dr. K? Oh I yes, on Facebook. Was... Oh my god, that was delightful! Delightful. I loved his little rockabilly hair and everything. Yeah, too. what a handsome guy, eh? Very handsome. Not to say he isn't a handsome guy now. He's still a very sexy extra man. He's picture. still a very sexy man. Yes, <laughs> and charismatic, if you will. Um, yeah, so and we're going to see Kusama. She's at she's got at the New York Botanical in the Bronx. She has a an exhibit there. So and that's the uh, Japanese American or Japanese artist who paints polka dots on everything. So we're pretty excited mm, to see yeah. her. And um, I guess we're going to try and see as many museums as we possibly can. So I will be talking to you probably from Connecticut or New York City next week. That's hilarious so you yeah. just can't settle down you're, I know you're, like, I, you're I, the I, agent
0: that travels I'm the agent who stays put
1: well you know it's just the way things are going right now I'm trying to work on this film I'm trying to see pop culture and um, you know the pandemic that quarantine really made me ask myself uh what do you want to do here's this, the situation where you can't do anything. And I was faced with, I want to get this, I want to do more documentaries. I want to make more paintings and I want to get out and see um, some of the world. After being shut in, I just, you know, and I want to do it safely. I'm wearing my mask everywhere. Even if people aren't wearing masks around me, I wore it through the hotel last night and through the lobby and everything. The staff are wearing masks, but many. Here,
0: uh, here, your movie theaters are going to full capacity. I'm so happy to hear that. That that that,
1: that yes. really and means that something's changing.
0: Yes, the, the uh, uh, Dr. Tam has said that the uh, uh, the pandemic is much more under control uh, in general, Canada. In Canada, in Canada. Canada. Uh, but there's there's still pockets. Uh, for instance, Alberta, which is in trouble still, mm. um, but in most areas the disease is on currently on the decline. And what we know is you still have to be vigilant because it can bounce back very, very fast. But I think what's happening is the vaccination yeah. numbers are, are getting high enough that um, the number of cases is much, much lower. And, and many of those remaining cases are uh, among people who are unvaccinated. Mm. Um, and what we're seeing now is the world is shrinking for the anti vaxxers. Oh, um, now um, in Canada, you won't be able to board a plane if you don't have vaccinations. Right. Um, increasingly, well, you can't go in a restaurant if, you, if you're unvaccinated. You have to have the vaccine passport. And that's making it a, a world in which people who have dug their heels in on that issue. Um, are really limiting their choices by mm-hmm. doing so mm-hmm. and they have every right to to make that choice but i think that uh, collectively we have the right to protect ourselves as a society too well
1: also the a theory is in community is the more risk adverse population makes the rules okay yeah so when it came to non-smoking and smokers rules, the more fear-based got to say the rules. And it's it's coming out again now. The more fear-based population will make the rules because they're more afraid. And that's okay. It's okay to be cautious. And it's just the way. If, if smokers accepted that there was no smoking anymore and limitations on smoking, it's the same thing. Sure. Uh, I know it sounds like freedom and all that stuff, but it's just the way it is. Uh, what was I going to say? There was something else I was thinking about that you made me think about when you're talking.
0: Well, while you think about that, I'll ask you the question. Did you happen to see 60 Minutes on Sunday? No, I did not. Now, I missed it, but I saw parts of the segment uh, all over YouTube uh, that that I wanted to talk about. And and that is Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. Oh, yeah. Tony Bennett at 94 with Alzheimer's disease has done a concert I think it's Carnegie Hall, which would be, I mean, one of his most famous albums. I think was yes. Carnegie Hall in the yes. early sixties. Yes, um, he's he can't remember his own name in a conversation. He can't remember what he did yesterday, but when his piano accompanist starts playing, suddenly he's Tony Bennett, the performer, and You're he remembers me. all the words You're to killing all me. the songs. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man, um, and one of the things that happened was on stage, he hadn't said Lady Gaga's name in a mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. And he's on stage and and he says Lady Gaga.
1: Wow. Yeah, it's She'd really, probably really
0: fantastic.
1: Really sweet. Um, yeah. I, well, I, watched... I, I have
0: to tell you, I have a Tony Bennett fan. Yeah. I had a chance to see Tony Bennett in a private performance at Roy Thompson's Hall a few wow. years ago. Wow. Uh, and during the performance, one of the tunes he sang he sang without a mic oh god and filled the hall oh, it was just you're choking me up i know it was it was so fantastic <laughs> and he's what a performer i i really admire tony bennett and i admire yeah. lady gaga for yeah. uh for sticking with him out there and, yep. and trying to do this and give him a, a chance to perform one more time. It's it reminds so me also of Glenn Campbell's story. He was too per- performed, did a final tour with Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. and he would have to have a sign telling him what city he was right. in. Right. Um, but he would he needed the words
1: to the tunes, but he remembered the music. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, it was beautiful. I watched that documentary, it was incredible. And you know, we saw the last performance with the Tragically Hip. And Gord um, um he couldn't remember the words either, um, from his brain surgery, I guess from cancer. But he was able to when they put the monitor on, get right back into it. It would, tri- it would, it would prompt him, and it was a very touching experience and and profoundly moving. Obviously, everyone in Canada, they didn't, they weren't a band anymore. They weren't. It wasn't about whether you liked them or didn't like them anymore. That's right. It they became were, something else. They were about Canada and Canada's spirit. And um, I think for Tony Bennett, it's about music fans, and, and same as Glenn Campbell, and that we all worry about. I'm um, so upset <laughs> <laughs> yeah. about memory loss and everything. Well, and of, course, of, of course, we do. And an there's
0: obvious, something heroic is, about being able to continue to perform, and, even yes. in the face of the greatest adversity. You're yes. losing your mind. Yes. And, and I and think still that uh, at, at his heart, he could still do that. That's his whole raison d'etre.
1: And I also think I have a feeling that there's going to be a breakthrough because of this. There'll be a breakthrough in research or in parts of the brain because of um, trying to figure out how do we prompt our whole brain from this kind of um, habit, the habit of singing and performing. Obviously, keep doing crossword puzzles, people. Keep reading. Keep playing music if you do it. And if you don't, start doing it. Because I think those things are associated with with helping your memory, and also, if you only 15% of people have to go into a nursing home or a, a, a healthcare facility, obviously we need to make more ways that people stay in their homes. Because when you're in your home, you remember more stuff. And he's remembering because of the stage and his cognitive um, powers are, are are working also on that stage for him because that's that's where he knows the best very moving. Thanks for making me cry again. You and James Bond. God damn it.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, sorry about that. I, just, no couldn't, I just couldn't let podcasts. it pass by because it was just so beautiful. Right. Thank right? you. And I did see that they were performing and he had Alzheimer's. I think I shared it on Facebook, in fact, but I didn't watch any of the clips.
0: Um, pretty pretty fantastic um, yeah. situation, although tremendously sad, too. I mean, it's, yes. it's the end of his performing life. Um, but he's you know he's going to be going out doing doing what he loves, yeah. entertaining people, being Tony Bennett. Also, <laughs> oh, we've lost Candy.
1: <laughs> also, he's one of those performers who um, has reached beyond um, taste, and yes. and and he, and he is universal for so many people, and he's universal in a way of the old variety shows, where you'd sit at home with your grandparents, your parents, the grandkids everybody watched Tony Bennett, everybody watched those um, variety shows in the old days. And you had that in common, whether you liked it or not. And Tony Bennett is, you know, he reaches back to my grandparents or your parents. Well, exactly. And it's particularly important now.
0: And that's also one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight mm -hmm. Vivian Williams on, on that Get Up in the Cool podcast, because music is one area in which we can continue to do it throughout our lives, you know, right. even though there's in the music business, there is this cult of youth. Yes. Um, which wants, which only wants the youngest and the freshest. And well, always. Same wants in art, to,
1: same in painting.
0: That's right. Always wants to throw away the old, but yeah. you know, if you do it anyway, if you yeah. just keep persevering, yeah. you know, in Tony Bennett's career, there were times when nobody wanted to come out to see him and he played gigs <sighs> that were empty. Oh, my But, God. you know, he stuck through that, stuck it out and became popular again and popular really across the generations. Isn't yeah. that fantastic?
1: It is. And I guess Michael Buble is a bit like that now too, you know? Uh, I think he'll have that in his future as well. Um, but, yeah, it is amazing that across the ages, across the world... Um, he has that connection, especially to on a on an archaic form of music, really. Yeah.
0: So I think in the in the arts, even though there's always a lot of pressure uh, to out with the old, in with the new. Yes. yes. Um, it also is one area which provides the opportunity to do it all your life anyway, and to and to succeed artistically. In fantastic ways in in our old age you know I think of Philip Gustin one of my favorite painters who in the last 10 years of his life exploded with this kind of crazy painting energy which you know where did that come from and he totally revolutionized his own work to the point where where people said, "What are you doing? You can't do this. You're throwing, you're throwing <laughs> yeah. away everything. Yeah, um, well, you're making these these cartoons. What's going yes. on here?" And well, he just forged ahead um, and did
1: the best work of his life.
0: There's Fantastic. something to
1: be, yeah, to compare to someone like a sports star, where you know NFL or basketball or I guess a Hollywood actress, you're over by the time you're 40 you know they won't they won't hire you you can't play and you don't have a job anymore that's right with a few exceptions you know
0: like like the Betty White sneak
1: through of course of course but I um I'm thinking more along the thing with a painter is that it's a hand-to-eye coordination that never stops developing and it it's almost that you shouldn't what
0: hand-to-eye-to-brain
1: yeah sorry that's correct that it's almost like We'll never know what uh, Basquette would have done. We won't know that because he died before that. It's not that he wasn't a great painter. He's one of my very favorite artists in the whole world. And he was extremely talented and beautiful artwork, but what would he be painting like now with that history of hand, eye, brain contact? So it's a mystery if you can keep painting till you're in your seventies. I mean, we just don't know what will happen. Monet used a long stick when he had arthritis, remember? Yes, Those I mean the, the, the good thing
0: for someone like Gustin is he had an established career. His X works, right? He could he still could sell off to, and, and make. He could yeah, afford to to do, to do that. Yes. Um, for a lot of painters, we can't afford to do it. We can't afford to do no. it when you know you might have had a, a successful show or no successful show. Right. Um, I mean, look at stegan in, your, in your old like, age. You know you keep making paintings but if they don't keep selling you face a dilemma that uh, we certainly face here which is you fill up a storage space and you pay you pay the man in order to store paintings that no one is ever going to see right that you've already heartbreaking um,
1: yeah it is it is heartbreaking and Steg and i have that too we're like also, you know, I make some pretty, when I get painting, I like making big paintings. I'm like, why am I doing this? This is ludicrous, you know? And it's in our bedroom. We walk around it to get to the closet and Stag can pump out, you know, he can pump out art like a, a machine, you know? So um, it's always this part is like, well, when do we stop and when do we cull it? We have to cull some of this, you know? There's nowhere to put it. Which reminds me, we do. We're in a group show on October 31st at Martin's Bar and Grill. So when I get home on um, this weekend, I've got to see um, which painting I'm going to be able to put in if I if I can, because it's not a big space. So I'm hoping I can put one of one of my artworks in. He said he's giving us some wall space, so I'm pretty excited about that.
0: Excellent. That's Martin's yeah. Bar and Grill, and that's in Chicago. Where in is Chicago,
1: it? Chicago. It's on on uh, twenty third place i don't have the address written down but i'll I'll do some promo so chicago listeners
0: to uh to this podcast attendance while not mandatory is strongly encouraged
1: (laughs) yeah strongly encouraged it's in pilsen it's a great bar and they have really good snacks and chicken wings okay (laughs) and again if you want to support us you can do a monthly donation on our patreon page or just a one-time donation if you want and we also Um, have some merch for sale we do have some merch and I've got some new ideas for merch. We've got a green mug with a cute little text on it. We've got black and white mugs with Eugene and my photos on it.
0: Yes, yeah, so we have hats and uh, there may there may still be a, a flask or... There's a flask amount. available still. Yep.
1: So, um, so if you're um,
0: interested in any of that stuff, you can just email us at the agency.podcast, um at gmail.com. If you have any complaints about the show, email complaints at... <laughs> gmail.com and uh the complaint department will get back to you right we away we'll get
1: back to you and um i need to go get a tissue and blow my nose after this crying fit.
0: <laughs> that's a good way to go out
1: Don't all get right out. okay yes. um
0: uh, thank you for listening we love all our listeners love we're gonna catch you next week we, we, we have no you. idea where candy's gonna be it could be I anywhere
1: i could be anywhere it could be in the bronx all right love you bye bye